Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. There's this thing I do every year around this time. In the days leading up to 9-11, I take a trip down to the World Trade Center just to be there for a short time. It's what I do to remember. Some people prefer not to be anywhere near the site of America's worst terror attack. But each year around this time, I seem to be drawn to it. There's something else that brings me back to that day. I'm Kaminsky, Chopper 880. All right, uh, Pat, we are just currently getting a look at the World Trade Center. We have something that has happened here. Listening to the audio. I've heard this clip so many times, I could recite it word for word. People remember in different ways, especially if you were there. I can tell you what things looked like. I can tell you what uh, the uh, aroma was in the air. I can tell you what the World Trade Center tastes like, uh, tasted like uh, because it was, that grit was in my mouth. This week on 880 In-Depth, as we mark 19 years since the 9-11 terror attacks, why we remember and what never forget means to us here in New York City. I'm Tim Sheld from WCBS News Radio 880. And 19 years ago, this radio station was a lifeline when our city was under attack. It's hard to even say those words. Our city was under attack. In the years since, our commitment to remembering what happened that day has never wavered. This podcast is all about what fuels that promise. The stories are real, gripping, human, and they're ours. Chapter 1, Tom Kaminsky. Tom is the longtime helicopter reporter from WCBS who was in the air that day when the hijacked planes hit both Twin Towers. His traffic report at 8.48 that morning is considered one of the first, if not the first, broadcast news report of the attacks. I talked to Tom this week I asked him if he was worried about the memory of 9-11 fading as we march closer to next year's 20th anniversary. Tom has the added perspective of being a college professor. He teaches communications at Montclair State University. It's interesting to me because I've been 
teaching uh, as an adjunct at Montclair State for about five years now. And the very first year that I did it, which was 2015, there were still a couple of students that had some sort of a connection where either a family member was a firefighter or something along those lines. And I've always played the audio from from WCBS, the, the entire thing, the entire 102 minutes. Uh, I've, I've played that for all of my students every semester for exactly that reason, that I want them to hear what it sounded like. Tom Kaminsky, Chopper 880. All right, uh, Pat, we are just currently getting a look at the World Trade Center. We have something that has happened here at the World Trade Center. We noticed flame and an awful lot of smoke from one of the towers. As I've gone on in, in the years, it has really become just something in a history book. For, and, and this is college students. This is not even, we're not talking high school. We're not talking grammar school. We're talking college students. So, yeah, I think, I think the fear of, of forgetting is definitely there. I think as we go toward the 20th anniversary, I think that's, that's really prevalent. We are just coming up on uh, this scene. This is easily three-quarters of the way up. We are, uh, this has, whatever has occurred has just occurred uh, within, uh, within minutes. Do you think of it often? Do you hear uh, your own voice in, in your head when you think about 9-11? I, I don't hear my voice in my head, mostly because I don't really remember saying the things that I said. It was just, it was so chaotic that the only time I really remembered saying some of the things that I said was when I listened back to the tape. And I only listened to it when I played for my students. Um, there's, there's one, I, I blurt out the words, my heavens, at some point, uh, as I'm watching this unfold. That's a phrase I never use, um, and I don't recall saying it. My heavens, this has just, just happened within several minutes. Uh, let's try, we're going to try to get a little bit of additional detail about this. I don't remember necessarily saying the words that I said on the air, but I remember the, the things surrounding that. Um, I remember looking down. I used to write things down on a clipboard. Uh, I remember looking down at the clipboard in my hands, and the clipboard was shaking as this was going on. Well, the new information that we have is that all non-essential travel is uh, being banned. In other words, there uh, are no, uh, there's no one allowed at the Port Authority uh, crossings. Uh, Jeff had asked earlier, uh, were people being allowed to leave? Currently, they are not. Uh, there is no one allowed uh, at the Port Authority crossings, no one into or out of Manhattan from any conceivable direction. Anyone who went through it, that day, whether you were in my position or you were a reporter or you were just waiting for a family member or you were in law enforcement or firefighter, something changed in you that day. On a molecular level, something changed. And I think that's really important to remember that while we have generations now of people that don't have that recollection, you have a lot of people that do. What does the phrase never forget mean to you the phrase never forget for me means that things can change at a moment's notice and that we really only have today you know it is one day at a time sometimes it's one hour or one minute at a time it's that that's that's what never forget means uh, to me just to 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 know that that life is is fleeting 
life can end in a moment and things can change in a heartbeat. And it's important in the context of the entire story to, to not forget that. Like Tom Kaminsky, Sean Adams, a longtime WCBS news reporter, had an up-close view of 9-11. 19 years ago, he was on the streets in Lower Manhattan reporting. WCBS reporter Sean Adams. I got Sean. Okay. Here we go. Sean, you saw it happen? I did indeed. I was on Church Street, and I was trying to help a, a gentleman who was caught in the first collapse. He was covered in white dust. And then all of a sudden we heard a rumble. We looked up. There was an enormous plume of black smoke billowing up above the tower. And then all of a sudden a roar. And it came down. And it didn't come down in one piece uh, like the other one seemed to do at the top. It just it crumbled. It was like a house of cards. Uh, bits of, of metal and debris just started to rain upwards and then downwards. There was smoke. And then there was basically a tidal wave of dust and smoke that started to just run its course up Church Street, and it's slowly making its way up this way now. Both towers are gone. Do you ever go back and listen to uh, the, the recordings from 19 years ago and the reporting that you did? No. I, I mean, I've heard bits and pieces, but I've never made a concerted effort to sit down and listen to it, uh, primarily because uh, it's, it's seared in my, my memory. I, I have uh, vivid memories. I didn't block anything out. I can tell you what things looked like. I can tell you what uh, the uh, aroma was in the air. I can tell you what the World Trade Center tastes like, uh, tasted like, uh, because it was that grit was in my mouth, and uh, it's there's a visceral reaction that comes back with these memories, and uh, I don't need to hear the audio to remind me uh, of it. It's uh, it's it's in my head. The anniversary is not about. Uh, reliving the horror, it's about remembering uh, the people who were lost and the families who were still here uh, and still grieving and still living with what happened every single day. And uh, these are remarkable people. I've learned so much from so many of them, from their strength, their resilience, their, their love, their ability to, to uh, forge ahead and in some cases uh, to forgive and, um, you know, I'll give you one example. Uh, one of the leading uh, family advocates early on, uh, retired New York City firefighter Lee Ielpi, who lost his son, uh, Jonathan, who was also a firefighter, 29 years old. Uh, when I reached out to Lee recently, I said, Lee, how's it going? How are you? And the first words out of his mouth, he said, it's a beautiful life. So that tells you a lot about his outlook and the way that he approaches life. And uh, there's tremendous strength and resilience there. Um, and I've learned quite a bit from these people. I, I truly consider some of them, uh, you know, uh, almost like my own family. Uh, I, would, I would do anything for some of them because uh, they are really remarkable. You, um, you and I have spoken about Lee in the past. Uh, he's someone uh, I've known for a, for a long time. Um, he he uh, put you on a um, uh, on a path of uh, thinking uh, long and hard about uh, how we remember nine eleven. Tell me about that. So one of the things that Lee Ielby did early on was with his, his involvement, uh, you know, with uh, the, the, tribute the tribute center. Museum. Yeah, the tribute yeah. center. 
Uh, and basically, he volunteered himself to educate people. People would come to, to learn what happened, uh, and they would hear firsthand from family members, uh, this is what happened, this is where you're standing, this is what it was like here, uh, you know, here's the chain of events, uh, you know, let me tell you about my son. Uh, this was a very personal introduction to September 11th for people who might not have had more experience than just seeing it on, on a television screen or hearing it on a radio. So education to him has always been extremely important. And as time passes, he is of the opinion that memories are fading, people are forgetting, and the younger generation now in school, uh, children, uh, they don't have any idea what happened because they're not being taught. So his big push now is, uh, is for the, the history books to catch up with time. You know, when I was uh, still very, very active uh, with the tribute, um, one of the things that I, I felt I was compelled to do, and that was to talk about education. I can tell, I can say it now, I'm quite certain it's still the same. I haven't heard anything different, but we do not have a state in our country that has a curriculum to teach the history of 9-11. Who did it? Why did they do it? Who are they going to gain by it? If we're going to be afraid to talk about a religion, a good religion, but unfortunately this was radical Islamic fundamentalists, we can't be afraid. I've spoke around, well, I, I still do occasionally speak around the country, many states. I question the young people. It's very, very troubling when I ask young people, because I love to talk to them before I get up to speak, that say, what, what happened on 9-11? What is 9-11? And when I speak and I want Q&A, they ask questions that they should have known. They don't need to know numbers, but they need to know what happened to our country? Why did, and what are we doing to prevent it from happening again? And so on. How can you go to a school and ask students, what do you know about 9-11? And the comeback is many times, what is 9-11? That's troubling. It's very dangerous. Sean, what does the phrase never forget mean to you? Well, it speaks for itself. It's very simple. Uh, never forget. Uh, we need to remember, because this was such, um, it was an important moment, not just in American history, but really in the history of the entire human race. It is a defining moment for, for all people. Uh, and it was an attack on our country, but when you look at all of the people who were killed on that day, they came from all over the world. And it happened in such a, a, a violent and horrible way to civilians, innocent people. All they did on that day was go to work, either at the World Trade Center or the Pentagon, or they boarded a plane that eventually was brought down and crashed in a field in Pennsylvania. These were innocent people, men, women, and children. They weren't soldiers, for the most part. They weren't combatants. 
uh, and we were targeted in this country because of who we are, how we live our lives, and uh, it was, uh, from someone who was there when it happened, it was a terrifying moment, and I like to think of the people. It started with the posters that went up day two, day three, day four, the posters, posters of the missing. And then there was a face. There was a name. These were real people. They weren't numbers. They weren't statistics. Uh, they were real people with lives and families. And they deserve uh, our, uh, our uh, attention. And uh, they deserve to be remembered. If you listen to WCBS News Radio 880, you know the commitment to this subject that reporter Peter Haskell has. He covered it that day and has never stopped. Last year, he won awards for his coverage on the fight for the victim's compensation fund. This is a passion of his. What do you remember about 9-11? You know, I remember coming down the west side of highway and just being stunned at these two candles with the thick black smoke rising in the sky. WCBS reporter Peter Haskell back with us from Chelsea Piers. Uh, Pat, what we have seen uh, probably for the last hour or so, people flooding up along uh, the West Side Highway, that new pedestrian walkway. Those folks work in lower Manhattan, and basically they were all sent home. A lot of the folks uh, were... Uh, aware of that first plane crash hitting the building, so they were looking out the window when they saw uh, the second plane hit. And I ended up stopping at Chelsea Piers because the traffic was really bad. And as people flooded up the highway, I talked to some people. They talked about getting out of the building. And now many of them are thankful that they're safe, but wondering how they're going to get home, regardless of where they live, whether it's New Jersey or Westchester or Long Island. We spoke to one man who was uh, saw... The second plane hit and was uh, here at Chelsea Piers having walked uptown. And then we were all standing down below trying to figure out what, you know, what happened. So uh, then the second plane hit, we all know it was a terrorist attack, so everyone just started, you know, running away. It was ridiculous. Where were people running to? They were in every direction. It was a mess. At Chelsea Piers, they used the TV studios they have there to build makeshift hospital rooms or emergency rooms. It was almost like looking at the TV show MASH. And I was there before it started, so nobody really noticed me. Uh, as we came to learn, those beds and those gurneys were not needed. And just the sheer, I, I'm not even sure still what words to use about the surprise when those towers disappeared. I mean, it was just something I never could have imagined, even watching the buildings burn. And from that day, it's just still hard to wrap my head around, and I still really don't like watching the video of the towers falling. It's just still so painful to see. September 11th, 2001. You will remember this day as long as you live. This is a story that needs to be told. And, you know, it's easy to say never forget. What we've tried to do through the years 
is to make sure we remembered the victims, what they sacrificed, what they gave up, those they left behind. So many families have started charities and have done good works in the names of their loved ones. We try to tell those stories. Thousands of people are sick. Thousands have died from 9-11 related illnesses. It's important to tell those stories. And it's easy for people who weren't around then and weren't in New York City, who weren't born then, to look at 9-11 as a Pearl Harbor and something that happened then. But this, this is our city. This is a constantly evolving city which came back from the depths, which rose from the ashes. And up until COVID, downtown was thriving. It was more residential than ever. It had a better mix than ever. And just on so many levels, this story needs to be told. The victims need to remember. Those who sacrificed and became ill, they need to be honored and respected. And all of these things all come together to tell the 9-11 story this year and next year and the year after. We wanted you to zero in on a couple of stories this week for us. We said, um, pick out a couple of people that you talk to on a regular basis each year and tell their stories about why we remember and why they'll never forget. Uh, Tom Von Essen is one of them. Tell me about him. Tom Von Essen, Tom Von Essen was the fire commissioner then, and the fire department suffered an unimaginable loss. 343 firefighters, they went charging up fully loaded with equipment up the stairs as people were escaping from the towers. Some of them heard calls to evacuate. They were helping those who were injured. They were trying to get to colleagues and effectively sacrifice themselves. So we spoke to Tom Van Essen about his 9-11 and what he remembers. You know, it started off as a normal day on the way to the office. Beautiful sky on the East River Drive. I look over and we just got a call that a, a small plane hit the North Tower. We come around 14th Street on East River Drive and I could see some smoke coming from the tower. So I got here real quick. Got in, went through a, a broken window, uh, like a big, uh, I forget what they call those windows, just walked through it. Uh, and on the way in, uh, some there was this horrible noise about 20 feet away from me and I turned and it was a person. It sounded like a car from the sky. And I thought, holy mackerel, that, that's a small plane. Still didn't put it together. Got inside and the chief said, no, boss, it wasn't a small plane. It was a commercial jet. We can't put the fire out. They've severed all the lines up on the upper floors, and we got ourselves, you know, a really big-time problem. And then it just got worse. Um, they told me the, the South Tower got hit, the Mall of America got hit, the, the uh, uh, Sears Tower got hit. We had all this wrong information, but unfortunately, we had right information about the South Tower and the North Tower. So it just, the day just got worse and worse as, as it went on. And we realized um, the magnitude of our losses. Uh, later on, we were in the street, and the mayor said to me, how many guys do you think were in that building when it came down? I said, I have no idea. It'll be hundreds of guys. I know how far they got up. I know how heroic they were, how fast they were, how, 
how aggressive our special units were. We lost almost 100 people from special operations that day. The cream of the crop, you know, um, all the extra training, all the extra dedication. Guys that were doing it for the same amount of money that just loved being aggressive and being tough and people not listening to Maydays because they got a call from somebody that was further up and they knew they had to help them. There were people that were hurt. Oh, just um, the, 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 uh, the operation, the, 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 uh, the sacrifices that the guys made that day it was just, uh, it just makes you proud even to today, uh, 20 years, almost 20 years later. I have a hard time uh, talking about it and really getting into it because I, I know, having been a firefighter, I know how it works and I know what the guys did that day to do their job and uh, I, I couldn't be more proud of what we all did that day, what everybody did. Through the distance of history, we understand the towers fell. That morning, did you have any thought that those buildings might come down? You know, I didn't think about it until Ray Downey, who was our chief of special operations, and it was really a renowned collapse expert throughout the whole country. He had been in charge of the for the USAW team, the Urban Search and Rescue, with FEMA actually um, out in Oklahoma City. So I was standing at a at a podium or a, just a place uh, in the lobby there, and he walked up to me after the South Tower was hit. He said to me, "Boss, you know these buildings can come down." And I, I'll never forget just looking at his face. You know, he had those uh, good-looking, uh, good-looking guy. Really, a real, a real man. You know, and looking at his face, and I knew he meant these buildings can come down. But he didn't say, "Tommy, get everybody the hell out of here." He said these buildings can come down. And I, I thought he meant 24 hours, 48 hours. If we can't put the fire out, you know, eventually it's going to just spread and spread and spread, and they'll come down. I did. Uh, I know in my heart, and it helps me, I guess, uh, live through it all these years. I know in my heart that he didn't, even he did not believe they were going to come down in 102 minutes. You know, from beginning to end, none of the chiefs, uh, I don't think, could have predicted that. And and even if they thought it could come down in three hours, four hours, five hours, they would have stood in front of the building and said, don't go in because these buildings might come down in five hours. That's just not, just not who we were. It's not who the guys uh, are or were and will ever be. They will always go into situations like that, trying to help people that need it, and take risks that uh, other people won't take. And that's why it's a special group. Peter, I think you have heard me tell you this story, but I always, always like to go back to a memory that I had uh, covering the year anniversary of the uh, crash of TWA Flight 800, the explosion of TWA Flight 800 uh, over um, the waters off uh, Long Island. And it turns out that one of the folks that was the counselor, religious counselor to the families uh, here in the New York area who experienced the trauma then, um, they had heard the plane went down. They went to an, a hotel near Kennedy Airport waiting for word. And we knew that uh, the word was horrible. Uh, that was terrible. There were no survivors. And one of the counselors there was the fire department chaplain here in New York City, a guy who I was very friendly with, who I've known, had known for 20, 25 years, uh, Father Mike Judge. 
And so Father Mike was a counselor to those families uh, who lost loved ones on Flight 800. And I remember being with him on the beach a year later uh, in Smith Point Park on Long Island, uh, right at the moment, the very moment that that uh, plane exploded a year prior. I was there with him a year later. And we in the media were so focused on anniversaries. You know, here we are in the water, and um, here we are saying it was this moment, this exact moment. And he kind of tapped me on the shoulder, and, and, you know, in his own way, he said, Timothy, these families don't do this on the anniversary. Their pain is there every day, and I have never forgotten that. And, of course, Father Mike was lost on 9-11, and it's a great lesson on how that pain and that memory is really with us every day, no? And if you'll indulge me on a story here, Father Mike Judge's funeral, I believe, was Saturday after 9-11. 9-11 was a Tuesday. Yep. And I covered the funeral, and this is something I'll never forget. That It was at uh, St. Francis Assisi, 34th, 31st Street, right by Madison Square Garden, and their hearse heads towards 7th Avenue, and I'm walking on the sidewalk just watching and recording the sound as we do in radio. The hearse got to the intersection. I'm not exaggerating. There were thousands of people, I mean hundreds, on each of the four corners applauding as the hearse came up with the bagpipes playing. And I had a lump in my throat then. I have a lump in my throat now just thinking about it. It was, it was this emotional release, this catharsis of four or five days of trauma and uncertainty, and this, this thank you to the, the first person officially declared dead from the 9-11 attacks was Father Mike Judge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, memories. So, Peter, I think um, you answered my question very eloquently. Why we remember and why we should never forget. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. My thanks to Peter Haskell, Sean Adams, and Tom Kaminsky. And tribute to all the fine work that day, 19 years ago, from people like Jeff Kaplan and Pat Carroll. They are and will always be part of the 880 family, and their work on that day served the people of this city and will never be forgotten. Be safe. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 